Welcome to the nationally syndicated In the Oil Patch radio show with Kim Bellotto, broadcasting from the Port of Corpus Christi studios. Get more on the Port of Corpus Christi at portofcc.com. In the Oil Patch radio show will give you an inside look at the oil, gas, and energy industry and how it affects you from industry experts and government officials right here on the In the Oil Patch radio show. And now it's time for me to welcome on my guest. Dean Foreman is the chief economist for the Texas Oil and Gas Association. Dean, you have a PhD in economics from the University of Florida. You've also uh, had some time and spent uh, a couple of years, five years, for the American Petroleum Institute. So oil and gas is nothing new to you. You seem to be very, very experienced in this area. So welcome to the show. Glad to be here. So um, let's start with um, your job, your main role, explain to me as the chief economist, uh, I believe this is probably the first time that Texas Oil and Gas Association, better known as Texoga, has had an economist on board, I'm assuming. What is going to be, uh, or what is your main role there in helping uh, the Alliance Texoga get um, their mission achieved? What are your goals there? So... It- for a trade association to really be you know, credible in preparing data, talking about data, and conveying things about what the policy needs are based on what's actually happening in the marketplace. Having an economist on staff really enables expertise in Texas energy in context with U.S. and global energy. And that's, that's my role, is to develop new sources of information fill in gaps in existing public information and have it not just be numerical data points that reside in isolation, but relate it to the policy needs and help communicate, testify before the legislature as needed. Did that twice last year, actually. And it's a really good fit. They've got a great team at Texoga. It's very well prepared to work together and bring this information to bear in ways that I think are going to help Texas policy a lot now and in the future. Well, you know, I think it's it's vital that we understand uh, Texas is so reliant on, uh, our economy is so reliant on the oil and natural gas uh, industry. It provides, you know, thousands of jobs, high paying jobs. Uh, but just as we need um, a strong oil and gas, um, we need strong oil and gas here in Texas as far as policies. We also need to understand how important it is to our electrical grid. We all remember um, the storms that happened a couple of years back that took Texas offline for days on end. And even though a lot of some, I think a lot of folks really didn't quite understand what was happening. I don't think they correlated it back to being part of uh, of the reliability component is natural gas. Um, I, and I think that they tend to just think, well, electricity just kind of comes through the walls. They don't really know how it's produced. And a lot of times our elected officials will push past that it's solar and wind. And that is a part of our electrical grid, but it is not uh, the total amount of the total grid. So one of the things that caught my attention was the op-ed that you produced um, recently about the uh, Texas grid. You you say in there that uh, Texas electric market has seen a record high demand this summer. And some analysts are puzzled by the stark contrast in demand when compared to the rest of the U.S. And we're going to get into that later on in the show. Um, Contrary to some uh, misleading suggestions, why solar and wind energy have been strong contributors 
natural gas, good old natural gas, remains the constant source of power generation that is dispatchable no matter the weather. So take us, let, let's go to your op-ed. Take me through, uh, first of all, let's start with the beginning. What happened, um, or, or can you explain um, how the natural gas component, this dispatchable, is important in, right now we're dealing with a heat wave. Before that, it was a snowstorm. The reliability is important. So let's start with, tell me about um, the electrical grid. How is electricity generated and how is natural gas a critical component uh, of being able to provide us the electricity we need here in Texas? So that's a lot. (laughs) (laughs) That's your whole report, (laughs) which we're going to break it down. Yeah. So, I mean, electricity obviously is generated from from something, right? It doesn't just magically appear and come out of the wall. So whether you use coal historically or natural gas or nuclear technology or increasingly wind and solar, that you have all of these sources that different utilities have portfolios. They have different, and by the term dispatchable, what we mean is it's ready on demand. It can be dispatched, it can be sent on command to, we want the electricity to come from this source this point in time. And that means that both from a utility perspective and from an ERCOT, Electric Reliability Council of Texas, or they are a regional transmission organization that has to manage the stability of the grid across covering most of Texas here. And with that, that means that they have to coordinate from an engineering standpoint, the stability of all the engineering parameters that go with managing a stable, reliable, and resilient electricity grid. So as they coordinate the supply of electricity coming from various energy sources and various utilities across the entire state, they're trying to manage the distribution of this across the grid, the stability of it, and the constancy of the voltage and everything else that makes it so that, from again, from an engineering standpoint, that it can work. And The engineering perspective of making that go versus the economic perspective of the incentives to have enough capacity ready to go to be dispatched at the point in time that it's needed, plus the economic incentives to continue to build for, if we're contrasting with the the U.S. background, Texas has much better economic and demographic growth. The electricity growth has been growing in terms of demand has been growing four times faster over the last decade than the nationwide average. And that's meant that there's been tremendous capacity growth for natural gas over the last decade, and especially in recent years for both wind and solar. And that continues to be incentivized on both the state and a nationwide basis. And to put it in perspective, though, we're still getting This summer, over half of our electricity is coming from natural gas. So it is the backbone in terms of supplying the bulk of it. And the growth of it is really important because the capacity has continued to increase for natural gas, despite the fact that we've seen a lot more supply and capacity coming from wind and solar as well. And Texas is also unique in that we're getting a lot from wind, just over 20% of our electricity is coming from wind-based generation. That's important though, because over the times of the day, as the amount of wind, or in the case of solar, the sun varies or is intermittent, so to speak, 
that means that you have to, if you put something more that's intermittent in, you have to have something else during the other times that's flexible enough to compensate for that. So you might ex you might have noticed in the article, for example, that nuclear, the utilization of nuclear generation, despite no capacity change, is actually slightly down this year, this summer compared with last. Well, why is that? And it's really because as you need more flexibility to match with the increased wind and solar that are on the grid, natural gas can flex up and down. And we're also using in the absolute amount more natural gas because demand is up this summer. But it's both being able to punch above its weight in terms of the amount of energy that's being produced for the electricity grid. And it's having these characteristics of flexibility that make it economically attractive and compatible with other forms of energy that have been growing on the grid that have made natural gas so, so attractive in terms of supply this year. I think your point is, uh, Dean, is that definitely demand is up. Solar and wind are very welcomed, um, but they play a part and they are growing. But natural gas is that consistent, um, com the, the consistency that we need if we are in a really tough, brutal winter or a super hot, like we're seeing right now, summer. And in your report, what I really liked also, and I'm going to encourage our listeners uh, to go to Texoga's website and read these reports, because it really does explain nicely the differences between, um, like in Corpus Christi, the weather, because if they're, you know, near the ocean, there's a lot of wind there, um, the differences in the different areas. But I, I want to switch gears just a little bit, because one of the things that your report really uh, made me question is, so we're very fortunate, we're very diverse here in Texas. Good old natural gas is the backbone of what we are using for our grid um, to keep uh, the lights on and the air conditioner uh, going, keeping us nice and cool. But there's a lot of diversity in your report you talk about as well. You're talking, you're discussing how uh, Texas is unique, very different, much different than the overall U.S. Um, can you tell me a little bit about what makes us unique compared to other parts of the United States? summary statistic or the one number that you can take away is what I mentioned earlier about growing four times faster. Uh, despite slightly higher temperatures nationwide, electricity demand this summer compared with last nationwide is actually down. Texas doesn't have that issue. It is, it's both hot, but when we take it apart and start to look at what's been driving the increased electricity load this summer, it's not just temperatures. It's the fact that the economy in Texas is growing a lot more fast than the nationwide economy in many specific states. And that uses power. Mm -hmm. That definitely uses power. We have a lot more people coming to Texas. So each household that gets set up, everybody, in the, everything they want and need in their lives depend on having energy through the entire value chain, including electricity. That makes sense. Let's take a quick break. I mean, you know, if you don't know about Texas, you don't know how great it is. As soon as you find out, you 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 hurry up and get down here. A good friend of mine, Tweet Scott, wrote a book on Texas and how amazing it is. So I guess the secret is out that we are friendly. Uh, we have good uh, business policies, lots of uh, energy here, uh, and we're really nice people. So here comes everybody from the United States. Oh, we're great on taxes too, by the way. Uh, Dean, let's take a break. When we return, I want to talk about, uh, in your report, you discuss the first seven weeks of the summer and what happened in our heat wave. You're listening to an Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. 
In the oil and gas industries, you don't just need a workers' comp provider. You need a workers' comp provider who understands your business. That's Texas Mutual Insurance Company. At Texas Mutual, they've created the Texas Oil and Gas Association Safety Group exclusively for businesses involved with exploration and production. That means you'll have access to information and safety resources that fit the way you work. But the advantages don't stop there. As a safety group member, you'll receive a premium discount on your workers' comp. Plus, you can qualify for double dividends. You heard that right. Members can earn an additional dividend on top of the one you receive as a policyholder. It's all part of Texas Mutual's commitment to working as a partner with the businesses that keep our state running. Texas Mutual and the Texas Oil and Gas Association, two great organizations that are even better together. To see if you qualify to become a safety group member, go to texasmutual.com TXOGA. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Dean Foreman, who is the chief economist for the Texas Oil and Gas Association. Dean, thank you for bringing us up to speed on uh, the diversity that we uh, happen to be very fortunate to have here in Texas with natural gas powering a lot of uh, the the commodity that we need to live, especially in these uh, record um you know, the heat wave that we're going through, record uh, number of highs every day. Hopefully it ends soon. But I want to switch gears. In your report, uh, your op-ed, you also discuss what happened in the first seven weeks of summer this year. So um, we we, we kind of know what happened. It's hot, <laughs> but uh, break it down for us of what happened in the first seven weeks. Glad to. So, yes, it is hot. Yes, Texas economy and population is also broad. And the way to get a more complete picture of this is really to break it down by hour, not just by day or month. And what, that's what we've done. We've compared this summer with last summer by the hour from June 21st through the first week of August. And it's remarkable because when you take it apart and see, and there were headlines showing up that, they, that motivated some of the thinking about this article, actually headlines showing up saying that wind and solar were stepping up, that the natural gas was underperforming. I'm like, well, that doesn't sound right. And lo and behold, when you take the hourly data apart, well, first point, natural gas is actually up year on year compared with last summer. Earlier in the summer, if you're just looking through part of July, maybe not so much. It was close, but not, not over. Through, if you're going all the way through early August, there actually is more natural gas. But consistent through... July and then especially now, including the first bit of August, when you look by hour from 10 at night through roughly eight or nine in the morning, it's a lot more natural gas compensating for the fact that as you are putting more wind and solar onto the grid, these are the hours where natural gas is helping stabilize the grid and meet the greater demand this summer. So the diversity of supply sources is enabled by having flexibility as a characteristic that to this point is largely unique to natural gas and being cost effective. This is almost like having the ability to have battery storage, but Battery storage often is held out as a substitute for having this kind of flexibility because you can you know, put energy in at a certain time and take it out on demand. But battery storage is not very cost effective if you need it for more than a few seconds or minutes. If you need it for hours, days, or weeks, 
if you need it on a prolonged basis to make it through a very hot summer, that could be an issue. So this flexibility of mm-hmm. gas, what we're seeing, especially in early morning hours, a lot more natural gas-based generation. That's remarkable. And by the way, natural gas has been able to flex down to accommodate the increased wind and solar during the early afternoon and evening, excuse me, um, mid-afternoon through early evening hours that we see the more the greater renewables coming into play. So the, it's meeting really strong demand growth compared with what the nationwide patterns are. It's meeting a remarkable amount of wind generation in particular that's come onto the grid. And the solar capacity expansion also is remarkable. It's over 30% more solar capacity off of a small base this year than last. Most states aren't dealing with that degree of change that fast. So we're really a nice microcosm of an energy transition that's happening real time of seeing investment that's incentivizing changes, but it's natural gas that's still becoming more important. And as an aside, it was a big deal two years ago when natural gas was providing 30 and 40% of U.S. electricity demand at that point. And here we are in Texas getting over half of the electricity so far this summer from natural gas. So it's a big deal and it's unique flexibility is provided only by this one energy source. Well, Dan, I want to ask a question also, though, I think a lot of of us believe that uh, there is this fight between, um, you know, oil and gas versus solar and wind renewables. And I don't think that's the discussion at all. I think if you're thinking that you're, you're on the wrong discussion, which is we, we kind of need it all. And I think that without one, the other one doesn't work, at least not right now. We saw that in, in the winter storms when we got taken offline because pipelines got shut down and the ones that were carrying natural gas is actually what we needed to keep the lights on when solar and wind were not able to produce because of snow being on the solar panels and uh, the the wind turbines, their motors froze. So so we need this natural gas, like you said, for the consistency. Um, And so I think that as we evolve uh, into a mixture of energies, you know, we we cannot forget that, um, you know, oil and natural gas are really a huge backbone to the Texas economy and it provides a security. But my question was, was this past session. You mentioned to me earlier, you testified twice. Um, and I know there's been discussion that the legislators really needed to look and, and see what happened in uh, Storm Uri and to make sure that um, they can pass legislation that actually made sure they protected the grid. Do you think through the work of Texoga, your testimony, did they come up with a good um, solution to making sure that even in these hottest days, and the coldest winters were snow that we have um, look at, looked and taken advantage of what we need to to put into place a grid that um, will sustain in these brutal conditions. Was a baseload capacity addressed? Um, is, do we have a solution? In your in your opinion, well, you can Mark. never say never. And the winter storm. Yuri that hit in 2021 was extraordinary. In the wake of that, there was a lot of finger pointing between different sources, what failure, what timing. And the legislature has taken a lot of meaningful steps to try to put well-intended and I think likely to be effective policies that have made it better. Is it 100% better? Hard to tell, but this extent of weatherization should make a material improvement. The extent of the, at the last end of this last legislative session, 
putting in incentives to try to make sure there's more electricity generation capacity ready to go you know, in, in reserve. It'd be effective increasing the capacity that, that can be dispatched when it's needed. All of these are good things that should avoid the kinds of issues. So it provides more redundancy, it provides greater supply, and it provides hopefully a quality dimension with again, this diversity that we've talked about underpinned by continuing to support natural gas since so much of this generation is in fact natural gas that's backing it up. Well, you know, I think that when we have some kind of a catastrophe as we did in, in the winter and of course summer, these temperatures. Uh, I think the legislators, they 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 had this opportunity 10 years ago to look at it. I think they did, but they didn't quite fix it. Now, here we come out of another crisis. This session, I think, looked at it a lot. And whatever we didn't complete this session, I'm sure we'll complete next, because one of the most important things we needed to get done also was property taxes. And I'm so grateful that they, they, they got that through to some capacity. When we return from break, um, I want to uh, get back to your op-ed and talk about um, the increased summer heat and air, uh, the demand, air conditioning demand, how that's affecting the grid here in Texas. Let's take a quick break. You're listening to in the Old Patch Radio Show. We'll be right back. And we're back. You're listening to in the Old Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Dean Foreman, who is the chief economist for Texas Oil and Gas Association. Um, Dean, before the break, we were discussing, you know, pretty much like what happened in the first part of the summer um, and the differences between Texas and other areas of the United States. But there has been such a great demand um, in the summer because of these record heat numbers, as well as air conditioning demand. How has that um, changed? Has it changed our grid capacity or the generation of it? And are there different areas that you're focusing on, you know, San Antonio versus Houston versus Corpus? Explain to me, you know, what you're seeing in the way when we're pulling on this grid for whatever reason, hot or cold, what are you seeing? So, again, a broad question, but, you know, as the overall electricity load is increased, we're looking first to understand how that compares over time and then comparing the capacity additions with um, the utilization of that by energy source across the Texas grid. So I mentioned the nuclear example with no capacity change, but using less nuclear this year. With coal, for example, there have been some closures of coal-based generation, but the ones that remain have been used more this summer. So the utilization is actually up for what remains. With natural gas, with wind and with solar, the capacity has increased year on year for mm -hmm. compared to summer last. Uh, a slight increase in capacity for natural gas, but strong utilization. With wind, we've added, you know, call it 11% capacity, but slightly more than that in terms of utilization. So then that opens up in the dialogue that's in the, the op-ed of saying, well, how much and why? So we've looked at the average wind speeds in parts of, you know, whether it's South Texas, uh, in the Corpus area, Houston area, some of West Texas. And we don't at this point uh, have from the federal government, NOAA's reporting of statewide average temperatures and wind speeds. So it's, those data tend to come more in arrears, but you can get daily readings. So for a, for a given location like Corpus, we can look over time and track and say, well, how much is wind speed really up compared with last year? And it is up, it's up by 
roughly 1%. So then we can look at what that should mean in terms of you know, how much more electricity you should get from that. And using the relationships that are consistent with how you would both forecast load on one hand and then the generation sources on the other, that's you know, in the details of how we've gotten to the higher level pieces in this op-ed of saying, look, we can see more capacity, but more utilization across wind, solar, and, and natural gas. And Dean, you're making a lot of sense because if we think that, how do you how do you gauge how much electricity Texas will need in specific areas and be able to accommodate that by the grid we currently have? How much more do we need? This is actually what keeps the lights on. If you can do that, it's it it's, it seems very complicated when you're having to look at every single area what they're producing and then being able to to put that into some kind of a a format to where we can look and see how much we have, how much did we lose last use last year. Um, I, I think also out of this report, what I'm getting is that, you know, ERCOT's generation, uh, the mix of generation, you go into your report and say, um, compared to other uh, other areas in the U.S. overall, you, you make this comparison as well, kind of showing the the differences in the generation mix. It's a really great, great report. But I do, I, I, I want to give you a, a closeout on this, but I really do want to try to get to something else you're doing, who's called, that something else you are working on at TechSoga, and it's called Chartbooks. That is another super great um, detailed pack information that, that all the readers should be going to. Uh, and I'm going to give you one minute to explain what it is. We're not going to go into, we're going to go into detail after the break, but I got to take a break. Specifically tell me, it's called TechSoga Chartbooks. Chartbook, what is that? So just in a couple of sentences, I get asked all the time, what are the handful of things you really need to watch to understand what's happening, what's been happening from a fundamental standpoint, from a price standpoint? And it all goes back to the economy. So it starts there. But the handful of things that you'd want to know for the Texas and U.S. economy, for oil markets, for natural gas markets, and getting both a Texas perspective a nationwide perspective and some of the global perspective, especially for the oil market and natural gas market, pulling that all together in a pithy sense that's simplified up front, just a handful of bullet points for the highlights of what's happened this week that you should know. Another bit that starts to really introduce and teach each each concept. So each week we go, we delve into one concept and really go in. And then it has just a handful of slides that cover different concepts. So economy, oil markets, gas markets, Texas employment. And the charts are a little more complex there, but we're going deeper. And each one has a short, pithy summary of what it means and exactly what's happened. You know, I get, as media, I get a lot of reports coming in. And I have to say that this is one of the, I, this is one of the best in the way of the graphics, an easy, quick snapshot of these different things. When we get back from break, I want to dive deeper into your chart book, if you will. Let's take a quick break. You're listening to the Old Patriot Show. We'll be right back. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Dean Foreman, who is the chief economist for the Texas Oil and Gas Association, better known as Texoga. Uh, Dean, thank you. Before the break, you told us about what you were working on. It's called Texoga Chartbook, trademarked. And at the top of it is very clear. It says Texoga Chartbook provides a vital resource for our members, as well as those who are interested in understanding data, which tells the story about what's happening in the economy, oil and gas markets, 
and the global U.S. Texas levels. And and I have to say, I'm looking at it. It is one of the best written reports with the graphs to really back that up. You also mentioned uh, at break that this is also really designed for people like me, the media. So easy to find stats of what's happening. And I may be looking at a lot of this uh, for future reference because it's good data. But let's, your your recent one is August 14th, 2023. Um, in here, you're giving us an economic outlook and uh, and also oil market outlook, natural gas. Give us a breakdown of what we are seeing August 14th, 2023, according to your report. So just summarizing quickly, again, starting with the economy, because all of energy demand really begins with that supply. To meet that demand begins with the economy. We are monitoring across the U.S. level in particular, but we also look at some Texas things and highlight if consumer spending is your number one, 70% of the U.S. economy on an expenditure basis, number one thing that really dictates the pace of GDP growth, gross domestic product in the United States. We look at the University of Michigan's Consumer Sentiment Index. We break down the relationship. And you can see visibly in the chart exactly how congruent these things are. As one goes, the other has historically gone in tandem. And the readings, therefore, of how people feel about their personal wealth, their economic prospects, how they respond on this very credible long-term survey, that's one that that we track carefully. So we look at that, we look at the industrial side of the economy, we look at a real-time index that's published every day by the Philadelphia Federal Reserve Bank, their ADS index of business conditions, we look at employment conditions and interest rates, all this is summarized. And then just up front, if you don't want to get into the detail, there's the, the, our take on it, or my take, that Right now, it's continued to show, and it's shown for months, that the business conditions have been relatively solid and improved over this, the course of this year and consistent with slow growth. The consumer um, sentiment has improved. It's reached the highest since 2021 in recent months. Again, consistent with relatively solid spending growth. The industrial side has been an enigma because the capacity utilization rates have not been overly high. So the incentive to invest has not been quite high, but still the production rates themselves, the amount of industrial production volumetrically has held up pretty well. So that's been consistent again with very slow, steady kind of industrial um, mm -hmm investment going with it. So net-net, this says the economy's in pretty good shape and it's muddled through despite the day-to-day -day headlines and people's worries about what's happening in the financial markets. We've seen, and in, in the time that the months that we've provided this report, some steadiness there. And if that says that the economy is relatively steady, that gives confidence that energy demand is as well, especially when we look at oil and natural gas. So the relationships are then made clear in this. We look at price momentum and price changes relative to that. And we've we've seen um, you know, continued tightness over time in the fundamentals for oil markets. Natural gas is a remarkable supply side story where the supply has been so strong, it's been able to provide Texas and US consumers with really strong, historically strong inventories at the same time as we've also supplied above the five average year average in terms of consumption domestically, plus record high exports. So it's been hitting on all cylinders from a natural gas perspective. The oil tightening is something, and you see it in prices in recent weeks here, but we've seen it for months coming. And it's for people who've been reading this, it's been obvious. 
And then the Texas employment situation. We've continued to show some strong gains year on year with the drop in drilling activity that's occurred with the weakness in natural gas prices. And up until the recent months, not extraordinarily high uh, oil prices either, plus getting in, getting into the budget cycle with, and we look at all the official statistics that go with this as well, but it's continued to show solid employment across Texas. And then when we compare the official views, um, we, we don't just, we built, we're building it up from the ground and showing Texas's own estimates that are new of oil and gas production through the month of July, but then we're comparing this all the way up to the U.S. Energy Information Administration International Energy Agency projections. In the latest August 14th view, they've kind of caught up with where we were two months ago in terms of look, because we're building it from the ground up based on these, these pieces, but they're recognizing that demand is strong. The mm -hmm. supply on the oil side has been challenged, especially in the wake of OPEC Plus's cuts. And the natural gas side continues to be amply supplied. Or the, and We'll see how this goes with the drop in drilling activity. But we learned a lesson, by the way, last year in how quickly Texas in particular can respond with drilling activity on the natural gas side. And uh, again, this gives confidence that it's a really strong and resilient market for natural gas. I like this report. How often do you um, send them out or how long, do, how often do you create them? Looking at your website, it looks like they've been in existence for what, a little over a year and a half, a year and a half. You've been doing them? Well, I joined Texoga in May. So we started implementing these this summer, the, the chart books, and they're, they're coming out weekly. So each week we're putting a new one out. Uh, we have a monthly energy review or energy economics review that we just began publishing in August. And this, if you haven't seen it, is remarkable in that it fills in gaps in the public data. So the value chains for both oil and for natural gas, it's remarkable. And it was remarkable to me coming back to Texas that if you want to know how much is produced, traded, byproduct, how much goes interstate, from one state to another, how it's refined, what goes into the refining process and gets transferred, how much of this is natural gas liquids as opposed to, and again, it's kind of inside baseball from an industry perspective, but from a media perspective for, for you and for your audience, that these are really important things of understanding the mix and the trade and how the value chain right. works. And the thing, the punchline that came out of it for me was I didn't even realize how important Texas has grown over almost 44% of oil supply and more than a quarter of natural gas supply, but critically enabling it, New Mexico, for example, all of their growth of oil production would be dead in the water without Texas. And it becomes obvious when you look at how we are enabling the transportation, the processing, the exports, the entire business of not and just- And it's all here. Yeah. All of US energy. It's all here. This is a really wonderful report. Kudos to you, Dan and uh, Texoga. I'm not just saying this. I mean, I, we have to go to break, but I'm just going to say to to see you're covering, uh, you, you know, you mentioned economic uh, indicators, but it's got everything in here from spending, exporting, industrial, uh, employment, unemployment. Then we go to the oil markets and you have in here WTI crude. There's uh, U.S. petroleum, net exports. There's this report is detailed and you're doing it weekly. This is definitely going to, I have not seen such a really good report with so much data all in one place. And it's also very neat. It's not overwhelming when you look at it, as I can't look at a report like that. This is really good. 
great work. Um, let's take a quick break. When we get back, I want to close out the last segment and, and getting back to um, our utilities and, um, and just kind of and winding down the show since we opened with it. Um, let's take a quick break. You're listening to in the Old Patch Radio Show. We'll be right back. And we're back. You're listening to the Old Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Dean Foreman, who is the chief economist for Texas uh, Oil and Gas Association, better known as Texoga. Dean, thank you for, first of all, producing these reports. Uh, it takes a very, very smart guy, economist, to produce, take something that is extremely complex and putting it into one, uh, it looks like it's two pages long, three pages long of looking at some major topics and simplifying it for the average person to understand. I think you're going to help the business community and of course the media grab accurate data and be able to utilize it for potential business use in the future. Should I grow my business? What is the forecast? What is the outlook? Let me go look in the past. Where have we been? Where are we going? This report, um, if you follow it, we'll have it all. And I'm excited that you guys are producing it. But but we started with what's happening to our grid and it was something that we had to you know really focus on this, this session. We've had um, some issues, as you mentioned earlier in the show, Texas is growing by leaps and bounds. A lot of people are moving in. It's taxing our grid plus our companies. Uh, there's a lot of companies moving in. We have a lot more people moving in. A lot of more homes are being built. All of this is taxing our grid. And we have to make sure that, that we have a grid that can continue to grow as we grow. And, and you know, solar and wind are coming on. We're seeing it. We also have I've always had natural gas, coal. And, and there's a fluctuation that's happening. I think as we go on with this debate of diversification, in our energy mix, we're going to see more things come on. Um, and personally, I think that we need all forms of energy, not less. But natural gas is one that is vital. It's important right now uh, and for the foreseeable future. And yet it, it seems like to me, it's it's typically, if you're in the energy circle, I'm not talking to you, but all, all the people that are not, it's the most misunderstood wonderful energy source out there, or one of them, should I say. And so um, in this, you know, last segment, I, I, I want you to tell me a little bit about, you know, in your op-ed, you're discussing how the diversification and how we're utilizing different energy sources and how they're changing across the day. I want to close out the segment with kind of giving our listeners an understanding how all of these different energy sources are coming in and playing a part. Everybody, we need them all. Uh, they all are important to the grid. And if you can go back and, and, and kind of tell us there in your report, you show how as of June 21st to August 7th, you see the differences, the changes in ERCOT when we're talking about natural gas versus wind versus solar versus coal versus a year ago and the changes. Can you go into that? So that way our listeners understand natural gas has been pulling a lot more because there's been more need to utilize it. I hope I made sense of what I was trying to ask you. Uh, I hope I made sense with that question. Uh, definitely, yes. No, it, we should say or start by you know, reiterating that the mix of the energy and just showing basic statistics on it was to demystify some of the headlines that might have a knee jerk of just characterizing one fuel versus the other. And our motivation, many of our members obviously are natural gas and oil producers. But in addition to that, we're also big electricity consumers, especially on the industrial side throughout the value chain in Texas. Okay. So. In the wake of the winter storms in 2021, the reforms that have happened, Texoga has been active in advocating for sound policy to make sure that from a consumer standpoint, that electricity across all customer classes ends up being cost effective, that it's competitive, and that these are, again, consistent with sound economics. And in our view, 
And you see this by using more natural gas, by filling in the flexibility, by enabling the renewables, understanding the mix of how that's all coming together in meeting this record high load to meet the needs with high temperatures, with economic and demographic growth. All of this comes together in a way that shows that natural gas is a highly competitive, dispatchable, flexible form. And making sure that from a policy standpoint, that the support is there to continue to have this flexibility into the future was really the genesis for thinking about you know, why is the Oil and Gas Association focusing on electricity? Well, it's because we're big consumers. It's because we're a big supplier to that market. And we really want to continue to see it succeed. And you're exactly right, by the way. It is an all of the above, needing all forms of energy contributing to meet this, having the flexibility. And in ERCOT's role, from a dispatch standpoint, they need to make good economic decisions to make sure that to keep those costs low for Texans, that this is coming together in a way that takes advantage of the strengths of all, each source as it's available during different times of the day. And it's a huge engineering challenge, by the way, to manage it you know, by the minute, by the hour, not just by the day or the month. You know, Dean, you bring up a good point because it's by the hour you're you're discussing. And so what we need to think about as our listeners, you know, my listeners, is so at night when there is no sun and maybe it's a hot summer night and the wind really isn't blowing, you know, the the these uh the wind and solar really isn't gonna produce, but natural gas is the one that's gonna be there. Why I mention that is because when I look at the graph that is in your opt-ed, it shows it says changes in, in ERCOT's net generation from June 21st to August 7th, 2023 versus 2022. You see natural gas at 5.3, wind is at 11.8, solar is at 32.9, and a negative coal. Then beneath that, it says summer change in summer net capacity from May 23 versus 2022. And you see that natural gas is at 1.3. So you see it increasing. Um, it, well, all of them are increasing as the demand is going up. But here's my point. I think that the only thing that the consumer, the, the listener needs to really understand is that natural gas is what is keeping, it, it is affordable. And if we don't like paying these high utility bills, which unfortunately we are in many ways, uh, this is part of the key. You said to me on break, you know, it's important that the listener understand that natural gas is the affordable way to go. So I'm going to let you close with that. Tell me, um, you know, what the important stance is from Texoga on when we look at the grid, what are the most important things we need to think about when we're thinking about natural gas and the component it's playing? So our direction is to have the largest or fastest growth in renewables and some of the fastest growth in the country, especially with, with wind and what we have solar. Think of that, over 30% increase in solar capacity just one year to the next. And again, it's off of a smaller base, but it's still a lot of new power that's coming. And these comparisons that we're providing show that it's being used and that it's delivering. Same on, on the wind side. And the fact that it was windier this summer compared with last is important to know if you're trying to plan out how much capacity versus what the intermittency is and how much it's likely to be used. But the point of going down and doing these hourly comparisons and really taking it apart in a level of detail isn't to get lost in the detail, but to show that the quality and the flexibility are really key characteristics to keeping a stable, resilient, and reliable grid. And natural gas is the thing that's keeping it all together. It truly is the backbone of the ERCOT grid in Texas. And it's, it's the upside flexibility to compensate for that intermittency during these early morning hours but it's the flexibility to be turned off and go down or provide relatively less during the times that the renewables are stepping up in the afternoon or early evening. So mm -hmm. that's a really good fit. It's complementarity in production from all these different sources that are coming together. And 
we find some historic uh, called baseload, but you know, power sources that were designed originally to run at a very constant rate over time. Nuclear is among those generally. Coal traditionally is among those, though if they've been upgraded, there's more flexibility there. But this is part of why natural gas is uniquely suited to be a complement to renewables in its flexibility to really ramp up or ramp down in relatively short periods of time. Very good. Dean, thank you for coming on the show and making a complicated topic easy. And great job, Texoga, on these uh, chart books. We will be uh, seeing if we can carry them on our platform because I think this is, I'm very impressed. And when I'm impressed, um, because it breaks it down in a way that I can understand it, 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 it's a pretty good thing. So thank you again for being a guest uh, on In the Oil Patch Radio Show. We look forward to looking at more of your chart book as you produce them. Thank you for being a guest on In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Thank you so much. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.